Chapter Ten of the Lances of Linwood by Charlotte Mary Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the early morning, Sir Eustace and his few followers were in their saddles, little Arthur riding between his uncle and Gaston. The chief part of the day was spent on the journey. They dined to Arthur's glee on provisions they had brought with them, seated on a green bank near a stream and at evening found themselves at the door of a large hostel, its open porch covered by a vine. The host and his attendants ran out at first to meet them with alacrity, but on seeing them appeared disappointed, and as the knight, dismounting, ordered supper and bed, the host replied that he could indeed engage to find food and to accommodate their steeds, but that the whole of the inn had been secured on behalf of two noble ladies and their train who were each moment expected be it so said eustace a truss of hay beside our horses or a settle by the fire is all we need here is a taste already of a warrior's life for you arthur the boy was delighted certain that to sleep beside his pony was far more delightful as well as more manly than to rest in his bed like a lady at home as this was arranged a sound of horses feet approached and a band of men-at-arms rode up to the door arthur started and seized his uncle's hand as he recognized the clarinum colours and badge uttering an exclamation of dismay never fear arthur said eustace they come from the way opposite to ours it is not pursuit see it is an escort there are ladies among them four said arthur uncle that tall dame in black must be the lady muriel and surely the white veil tied with rose colour belongs to kind cousin agnes true these are no clarinums to guard against said eustace to his squire who looked ready for action lady muriel the stepmother of the baron and his sister is my godmother and by birth a linwood then stepping forward he assisted the elder lady to dismount she returned his courtesy by a slight inclination as to a stranger but her companion who had lightly sprung to the ground no sooner perceived him than she exclaimed eustace then laying her hand on lady muriel's arm mother it is sir eustace linwood ha my gallant godson said the baroness greeting him cordially well met brave youth no wonder in that knightly figure i did not know my kinswoman's little page how does my gentle niece eleanor alack then you have not heard the tidings said eustace we heard long since she was sick with grief said lady muriel much alarmed what mean you is she worse you weep surely she still lives ah honoured dame we come even now from laying her in her grave here is her orphaned boy young agnes could not restrain a cry of grief and horror and trying to repress her weeping till it should be without so many witnesses lady muriel and her bower-woman led her to their apartments in the inn eustace was greatly affected by her grief she had often accompanied her stepmother on visits to linwood in the peaceful days of their childhood 
she had loved no sport better than to sit listening to his romantic discourses of chivalry and had found in the shy delicate dreamy boy something congenial to her own quiet nature and in short when eustace indulged in a vision agnes was ever the lady of it the pale slight agnes with no beauty save her large soft brown eyes that seemed to follow and take in every fancy or thought of his agnes was looked down on her father thought she would do him little honour her brother cared not for her save for her stepmother she would have met with little fostering attention and when eustace saw her set aside and disregarded his heart had bounded with the thought that when he should lay his trophies at her feet agnes would be honoured for his sake but eustace's honours had been barren and he could only look back with a sad heart to the fancies of his youth when he had deemed knight-errantry might win the lady of his love eleanor had been one of the few who had known and loved the damsel of clarinham and had encouraged her to lay aside her timidity agnes wept for her as a sister and still could hardly restrain her sobs when eustace and his nephew were invited to the presence of the ladies to narrate their melancholy tale many tears were shed and caresses lavished upon the orphan the ladies asked his destination and on hearing that he was to be taken to the prince's court at bordeaux agnes said we too are bound to the prince's court i am to journey thither with folk were it not better for arthur to travel with us most carefully would we guard him it would spare him many a hardship for which he is scarce old enough and his company would be a solace almost a protection to me my pretty playfellow will you be my travelling companion i would go with you cousin agnes for you are kind and gentle and i love you well but a brave knight's son must learn to rough it and besides i would not go with sir fulk your brother for he is a false and cruel knight who persecuted my blessed mother to the very death can this be oh speak eustace said agnes what means the boy hath fulk shown himself other than a loving kinsman the baroness who understood her stepson's character better than did his young sister and who was informed of the old enmity between the two houses felt considerable anxiety as to what they were now to hear when eustace beginning ah lady i grieve twice in the day to sadden your heart yet since so much has been said it were best to relate the whole truth proceeded to tell what had passed respecting the wardship of young arthur agnes's eyes filled with burning tears of indignation oh dear lady mother cried she take me back to our convent how can i meet my brother how conceal my anger and my shame this is far worse than even i feared said lady muriel i knew folk to be unscrupulous and grasping but i did not think him capable of such foul oppression for you my sweet agnes 
would that i could prevail on him to leave you in the safe arms of the cloister but alas i have no right to detain you from a brother's guardianship i dreaded this journey much before said agnes but now even my trust in folk is gone i shall see round me no one in whom to place confidence alas nay fair agnes said eustace he will surely be a kind brother to thee he cannot be otherwise how love and trust when there is no esteem oh mother mother this is loneliness indeed in that strange courtly throng who will protect and shelter me there is an arm began the baroness yes noble lady there is one arm eagerly exclaimed eustace that would only deem itself too much honoured if it could be raised in your service i spoke of no arm of flesh said lady muriel reprovingly and eustace hung his head abashed i spake of the guardian who will never be wanting to the orphan there was a silence first broken by eustace one thing there is that i would fain ask of your goodness said he many a false tale many a foul slander will be spoken of me and many may give heed to them but let that be as it will they shall not render my heart heavy while i can still believe that you give no ear to them sir eustace said the lady of clarinum i have known you from childhood and it would go hard with me to believe aught dishonourable of the pupil of sir reginald and of eleanor yes sir eustace added agnes it would break my heart to distrust you for then i must needs believe that faith truth and honour had left the world and now said lady muriel who thought the conversation had been sufficiently tender to fulfil all the requirements of the connection of families and of their old companionship now agnes we must take leave of our kind kinsman since doubtless he will desire to renew his journey early to-morrow eustace took the hint and bent his knee to kiss the hands which were extended to him by the two ladies then left the room feeling among all the clouds which darkened his path one clear bright ray to warm and gladden his heart agnes trusted his truth agnes would be at bordeaux he might see her and she would hear of his deeds agnes while she wept over her kinswoman's death and her brother's faults rejoiced in having met her old playfellow and found him as noble a knight as her fancy had often pictured him and in the meanwhile the good old lady muriel sighed to herself and shook her head at the thought of the sorrows which an attachment would surely cause to these two young creatures it was early in the morning that eustace summoned his nephew from the couch which one of the clarinum retainers had yielded him and mounting their horses they renewed their journey towards the coast without further adventure the lances of linwood as arthur still chose to call their little party safely arrived at rennes the capital of brittany where jean de montfort held his court 
here they met the tidings that charles v had summoned the prince of wales to appear at his court to answer an appeal made against him to the sovereign by the vassals of the duchy of aquitaine edward's answer was that he would appear indeed but that it should be in full armour with ten thousand knights and squires at his back and the war had already been renewed the intelligence added to eustace's desire to be at bordeaux but he could not venture through the enemy's country without exposing himself to death or captivity and even within the confines of brittany itself duke john though bound by gratitude and affection to the alliance of the king who had won for him his ducal coronet was unable to control the enmity which his subjects bore to the english and assured the knight that a safe conduct from him would only occasion his being robbed and murdered in secret instead of being taken a prisoner in fair fight and put to ransom if eustace had been alone with his staunch followers he would have trusted to their good swords and swift steeds but to place arthur in such perils would be but to justify folk's accusations and there was no alternative but to accept the offer made to him by jean de montford for the sake of his duchess a daughter of edward the third to remain a guest at his court until the arrival of a sufficient party of english knights who were sure to be attracted by the news of the war no less than two months was he obliged to wait during which both he and gaston chafed grievously under their forced captivity but at length he learned that a band of free companions had arrived at rennes on their way to offer their service to the prince of wales accordingly he set forth and after some interval found himself once more in the domains of the house of plantagenet it was late in the evening when he rode through the gates of bordeaux and sought the abode of the good old gascon merchant where he had always lodged he met with a ready welcome and inquiring into the most recent news of the town learnt that the prince was considered to be slightly improved in health but that no word was spoken of the army taking the field and the war was chiefly carried on by the siege of castles he asked for sir john chandos and was told that high words had passed between him and the prince respecting a hearth tax and that since he had returned to his government and seldom or never appeared at the council board it was the earl of pembroke who was all-powerful there and here the old gascon wandered into lamentable complaints of the aforesaid hearth tax from which eustace could scarcely recall him to answer whether the english baron de clarinum had arrived at bordeaux he had come and with as splendid a train as ever was beheld and was in high favour at court this was no pleasing intelligence but eustace determined to go the next day to present his nephew to the prince immediately after the noontide meal when it was the wont of the plantagenet princes to throw their halls open to their subjects accordingly leading arthur by the hand and attended by gaston he made his appearance in the hall just as the banquet was concluded but ere the knights had dispersed many well-known faces were there but as he advanced up the space between the two long tables he was amazed at meeting scarce one friendly glance of recognition 
some looked unwilling to seem to know him and returned his salutation with distant coldness others gazed at the window or were intent on their wine and of these was leonard ashton whom to his surprise he saw seated among the knights thus he passed on until he had nearly reached the dais where dined the prince and the personages of the most exalted rank here he paused as his anxious gaze fell upon the prince and marked his countenance and mien alas how changed he sat in his richly carved chair wrapped in a velvet mantle which even on that bright day of southern spring he drew closer round him with a shuddering chilliness his elbow rested on the arm of his chair and his wasted cheek leaned on his hand the long thin fingers of which showed white and transparent as a lady's his eyes were bent on the ground and a look of suffering or of moody thought hung over the whole of that face once full of free and open cheerfulness tears filled eustace's eyes as he beheld that wreck of manhood and thought of that bright day of hope and gladness when his brother had presented him to the prince as he hesitated to advance the prince raising his eyes encountered that earnest and sorrowful gaze but only responding by a stern glance of displeasure eustace however stepped forward and bending one knee said my lord i come to report myself as returned to your service and at the same time to crave for my nephew the protection you were graciously pleased to promise him it is well sir eustace linwood said edward coldly and with a movement of his head as if to dismiss him from his presence and you boy come hither he added as arthur seeing his uncle rise and retreat a few steps was following his example i loved your father well he said laying his hand on the boy's bright wavy hair and you shall find in me a steady friend as long as you prove yourself not unworthy of the name you bear in spite of the awe with which arthur felt his head pressed by that royal hand in spite of his reverence for the hero and the prince he raised his eyes and looked upon the face of the prince with an earnest pleading almost upbraiding gaze as if child as he was he deprecated the favour which so evidently marked the slight shown to his uncle but the prince did not heed him and rising from his chair said thine arm clarendon let us to the princess and present her new page follow me boy with a wistful look at his uncle standing alone on the step of the dais arthur reluctantly followed the prince as leaning on clarendon's arm he left the hall and crossing a gallery entered a large apartment at one end was a canopy embroidered with the arms and badges of the heir of england and beneath it were two chairs of state one of which was occupied by joan plantagenet princess of wales once the fair maid of kent and though now long past her youth still showing traces of beauty befitting the lady for whom her royal cousin had displayed such love and constancy as her husband entered she rose and looking anxiously at him while she came forward to meet him inquired whether he felt fatigued no my fair dame 
replied the prince i came but to present you your new page the young cousin respecting whose safety my lord de clarinum hath been so much in anxiety then it is his uncle who hath brought him asked joan yes replied edward he himself brought him to the hall and even had the presumption to claim the protection for him that i pledged to his father when i deemed far otherwise of this young eustace what account does he give of the length of time that he has spent on the road asked the princess ay there is the strangest part of the tale said fulke clarinum with a sneer since he left the poor simple men at linwood believing that he was coming at full speed to seek my lord the prince's protection for the child a convenient excuse for eluding the inquiries of justice into his brawls at the funeral as well as for the rents which he carried off with him but somewhat inconsistent when it is not for five months that he makes his appearance at bordeaux and then in the society of a band of routiers it shall be inquired into said the prince nay nay my lord said fulke may i pray you of your royal goodness to press the matter no further he is still young and it were a pity to cast dishonour on a name which has hitherto been honourable since my young cousin is safe i would desire no more save to guard him from his future machinations for his brother's sake my lord i would plead with you little did i think such things of him said the prince when i laid knighthood on his shoulder in the battlefield of navaretta yet i remember even then old chandos chid me for over hastiness poor old chandos he has a rough tongue but a true heart and under favour i would say answered clarinum that it might have been those early won honours that turned the head of such a mere youth so entirely without guidance or rather with the guidance of that dissolute squire who i grieve to observe still haunts his footsteps knighthood with naught to maintain it is in truth a snare well i am weary of the subject said the prince leaning back in his chair the boy is safe and as you say folk that is all that is of importance call hither the troubadour that was in the hall at noon i would have your opinion of his lay he added turning to his wife the indignation may be imagined with which arthur listened to this conversation as he stood on the spot to which edward had signed to him to advance when he presented him to the princess he longed ardently to break in with an angry refutation of the slanders cast on his uncle but he was too well trained in the rules of chivalry to say nothing of the awful respect with which he regarded the prince to attempt to utter a word and he could only edge himself as far away as was possible from clarinum and cast at him glances of angry reproach his uneasy movements were interpreted as signs of fatigue and impatience of restraint by one of the ladies who was sitting at no great distance a very beautiful and graceful maiden the lady maud holland daughter to the princess of wales by her first marriage and she kindly held out her hand to him saying come hither my pretty page you have not learnt to stand stiff and straight like one of the supporters of a coat of arms 
come hither and let me lead you to company better suited to your years arthur came willingly as there was no more to hear about his uncle and besides it was away from the hateful clarinum she led him across the hall to a tall arched doorway opening upon a wide and beautiful garden filled with the plants and shrubs of the south of france and sloping gently down to the broad expanse of the blue waves of the garonne she looked round on all sides and seeing no one made a few steps forward on the greensward then called aloud thomas no answer edward harry of lancaster but still her clear silvery voice was unheeded until a servant came from some other part of the building and bowing awaited her orders where are lord edward and the rest she asked gone forth the servant believed to ride upon the open space near st ursula's convent none left at home none noble lady none repeated lady maud save the little lord richard whose baby company your pageship would hardly esteem you must try to endure the quietness of the ladies chamber unless you would wish to be at once introduced to the grave master of the damoiseau at this moment arthur's eye fell upon a lady who had just emerged from a long shady alley up which she had been slowly walking and the bright look of recognition which lighted up his face was so different from the shy and constrained expression he had hitherto worn that lady maud remarked it and following his gaze said lady agnes de clarinum ah yes she is of kin to you let us go meet her then as they approached she said here agnes i have brought you a young cousin of yours whom the prince has just conducted into my mother's chamber where he bore so rueful a countenance that i grew pitiful enough to come forth on a bootless errand after his fellow damoiseaux who it seems are all out riding so i shall even leave him to you for there is a troubadour in the hall whose lay i greatly long to hear away tripped lady maud well pleased to be free from the burthen her good nature had imposed on her arthur exclaimed agnes what joy to see you is your uncle here yes said arthur but oh cousin agnes if you had been by to hear the foul slanders which sir folk has been telling the prince oh agnes you would disown him for your brother arthur said agnes with a voice almost of anguish how could he why did he tarry so long on the road how could we come on when the duke of brittany himself said it was certain death or captivity we were forced to wait for an escort and now agnes think of your brother saying that uncle eustace carried off the rents of linwood when every man in the castle could swear it was only the money father cyril had in keeping for his inheritance alas said agnes and the prince will believe it the prince looks coldly on him already and my uncle loves the prince like his own life oh he will be ready to die with grief agnes agnes what is to be done but you don't believe it he proceeded seeing that she was weeping bitterly you do not believe it you promised you never would oh say you do not believe it i i do not arthur i never believed half they said of him 
but oh that long delay was a sore trial to my confidence and cruelly confirmed their tales and think of folk too hindering the prince from inquiring because he says he would spare my uncle for my father's sake when the truth is he only fears that the blackness of his own designs should be seen and gaston too he slandered oh agnes agnes that there should be such wickedness and we able to do naught naught but weep and pray said agnes and yet i can bear it better now that you are here your presence refutes the worst accusation and removes a heavy weight from my mind you distrust him too i cannot love you if you do never never i only feared some evil had befallen you and grieved to see the use made of your absence your coming should make my heart light again shall i often see you cousin agnes for there is none else in this wide castle that i shall care for oh yes arthur there are full twenty pages little older than yourself lord thomas holland the prince's stepson brother to the lady that led you to me little piers de grailly nephew to the captal de bouche young henry of lancaster and the little prince edward himself you will have no lack of merry playmates ah but to whom can i talk of my blessed mother and of uncle eustace and of linwood keep and poor old blanca toile that i promised ralph i would bear in mind well arthur said agnes cheerfully it is the page's duty to wait on the ladies in hall and bower and the ladies office to teach them all courtly manners and hear them read and say the credo and ave you shall be my own especial page and servant is it agreed oh yes said the boy i wonder if the master of the damoiseau is as strict as that lady said and i wonder when i shall see uncle eustace again End of chapter ten